My name is Jenny Hinchcliffe, and this is Senders Receive, a podcast about mail, art, and the people who make it happen. Broadcasting from beautiful San Francisco while bringing you stories and experiences of postal moderns and mail art mavens. Let's go ahead and bring on the show. Hello, Senders Receive listeners. I promised you a follow-up for the book report I did a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that it would be fun to focus on some current books about Ray Johnson that are readily available right now. So I'm going to be talking about three different books during this episode. I'll start with Siglio Press's reprint of Ray Johnson's The Paper Snake, then I'll move into Matthew Marks Gallery's publication Ray Johnson, and I'll finish up with the recently released title, Ray Johnson Care Of, which is the exhibition catalog for the upcoming show at the Art Institute of Chicago. So in the show notes, I'll be sure to include the names and titles of these books, as well as my favorite online resources for finding used books. I think I'll start um, by just talking a little bit about Ray Johnson because there may be some listeners out there who are new to mail art or, um, you know, just your Ray Johnson history is a little fuzzy, but it will help, it will help uh, understand um, some of the stuff that I talk about further on if I just give a little bit of backstory about Ray Johnson. So... He was born in Detroit, Michigan. He attended Black Mountain College, and during his studies at Black Mountain College, his professors included Joseph and Annie Albers, uh, Buckminster Fuller. Uh, some of his classmates uh, were Ruth Asawa, Jean Barda. He studied with John Cage and Merce Cunningham, among others. Uh, Cage and Cunningham did a summer residency at Black Mountain College. And in 1949, um, Johnson moved to New York City with his fellow BMC classmate, Richard Leopold. They, you know, wrapped up their studies at Black Mountain. They moved uh, right into Manhattan. And by the mid-50s, Johnson was creating the collages, modicos, and drawings that he would eventually become famous for. And those were techniques that he had experimented with when he was a student at Black Mountain College. And he um, continued to, you know, work with those ideas once he moved to New York. And so Johnson would also take on occasional graphic design work, uh, things like hand lettering or book cover design, you know, just to pay the rent and, you know, buy groceries. So that was sort of how he earned a daily living. So... Ray Johnson's often credited as the father of mail art or as the father of add and pass mail art. And Sunders Receive listeners may have received current contemporary versions of add and pass mail art um, in their own mailboxes. And that is a direct lineage. That's a direct link to an idea that Ray Johnson came up with. Um, for those of you who don't know what an add and pass is, uh, usually it's a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper. Uh, perhaps it's Xeroxed or color Xeroxed with imagery. Sometimes they're collaged. And the idea is that you add to it in some way, you know, whether you add some rubber stamping or, you know, some like hand illustration or, you know, collage, whatever you want. You write your name and mailing address on the back of it and then you send it on to someone in your address book. 
And so the phrase, please add to and return, or please add and send to, were both phrases that were used by Johnson on his initial add and pass sheets. So, you know, if you are looking at photos of Johnson's work online, a lot of times you'll see those two phrases. Those were coined by him. So throughout the 60s, with the help of friends and correspondents, uh, notably William and May Wilson, who were champions and cheerleaders of Ray Johnson's, he continued to develop and expand his correspondence art activities, culminating in what Johnson's fellow artist and correspondent, Ed Plunkett, termed the New York Correspondence School, Correspondence School, in 1962. Plunkett coined the term, Johnson started the idea. Uh, the first official in-person meeting of the New York Correspondent School was held in 1968, <laughs> and according to written accounts, um, nobody really knew what to expect when they showed up at the meeting. Uh, there were no written instructions for what people would do, um, you know, guidance around what you would do when you got there. There wasn't even really an official meeting time. And so, you know, really what you had uh, were, were a whole lot of people in a room together sort of looking at each other because they didn't quite know <laughs> what was going to happen next. And I, I see those New York Correspondence School meetings, the in-person meetings, as a direct extension of Ray Johnson's Nothing performances. And some of you may have heard about those performances. Um, they were similar, uh, you know, cheekily. Johnson called them nothings. They were happening along at the same time as happenings, which was an Alan Capro thing. A nothing or a happening were social or performative gatherings. You know, people would get together and these gatherings, you know, there would be... Um, Things either happening or not happening, the, the audience would know or not know what was going on. And the idea was to challenge audience ideas of what it meant to interact, perform, or just to even be a passive member. Um, so I feel like those New York Correspondent School meetings were actually their own kind of happening. <laughs> because, you know, again, you get people in a room and you just sort of... Uh, it was expected that something would happen, but nobody quite knew what. So in 1968, there were a series of events, both sort of on a local level and a national level, that led to Johnson's moving out of New York City. He purchased a home in Locust Valley, which is about an hour outside of New York, and he continued to create work. Um, he organized a major exhibition of mail art for the Whitney Museum in 1970. And his exhibition life all throughout the 70s was incredibly active. One of the things that he, he worked on in conjunction, or more like collaboration, yeah, with uh, Richard Kennard, who some of you may know. He's a male artist, still active today. Um, Richard organized an exhibition at the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh. Um, that was titled Correspondence, an Exhibition of the Letters of Ray Johnson. And that was in 1976. It was a fairly big retrospective of Johnson's work. Uh, it comprised 35 years of his outgoing mail. And so that was a big um, thing that happened in the late 70s uh, for Johnson. Um, but by the late 70s and early 80s, he, Ray Johnson had become pretty reclusive. 
you know, that that show in 1976 was pretty much one of his last big shows. He stopped exhibiting publicly. By all accounts, he was still prolific in the studio. Um, but Johnson himself often jokingly compared himself to Joseph Cornell, who he was friends with. Um, he joked about things like having a Cornell attic. He sent large amounts of mail like Joseph Cornell did. He had a passion for talking to friends on the phone like Cornell. Um, they corresponded regularly and knew each other quite well. January 13th, 1995 is a day that is memorable uh, because two teenagers witnessed Johnson diving from the Sag Harbor Bridge in Long Island and backstroking out to sea. And that was, that was the last time that anyone saw him alive. His death was reported as an apparent suicide. Um, the documentary How to Draw a Bunny interviews friends, artists, and gallerists who, at the time of the movie's production in 2002, they were still mystified by Johnson's enigmatic death and the circumstances that surrounded it. I won't uh, dive into that here, but if you have not seen that documentary, I encourage you to do so. Um, it's great, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So if we fast forward 20 years <laughs> to 2021, this year, the Art Institute of Chicago will be hosting a major retrospective of Ray Johnson's work. And it's titled Ray Johnson Care Of. Uh, it's considered the largest exhibition of the artist's work in more than two decades. Uh, there was a retrospective called Ray Johnson Correspondences, which took place at the Whitney in 1999. Um, but that is the most recent show of Johnson's work that's happened. So the Care Of exhibition opens in November 2021. It is curated by Caitlin Haskell and Jordan Carter, both of whom are curators at the Art Institute of Chicago. So that's a, a bit of backstory about Ray Johnson, about his work. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and jump right into the books. And I'll start with Siglio Press's the Paper Snake, which is a, a reprint of uh, an original publication that was published by Dick Higgins's Something Else Press in 1965. Um, the original Paper Snake had a retail price of $3.47. Notes on the dust jacket were contributed by William S. Wilson, who was Johnson's longtime friend and supporter. And you'll hear me mention him quite a bit towards the end of this episode. The original book's design and layout were done by Dick Higgins. They utilized ephemeran correspondence that Johnson had sent to Higgins over the course of many years. And as you look through the paper snake, you'll notice that Johnson's notable wordplay and illustrations are really front and center. You, as you're paging through this book, you get a very real sense of Johnson's eccentric, exuberant process as the words and images literally spill across each page, page spread. And about the process of creating and publishing The Paper Snake, Johnson wrote, quote, I'm an artist and... Well, I shouldn't call myself a poet, but other people have. What I do is classify the words as poetry. The paper snake is all my writings, rubbings, 
plays, things that I'd given to the publisher, Dick Higgins, which I mailed to him or brought to him in cardboard boxes or shoved under his door or left in his sink or whatever over a period of years. He saved all these things, designed and published a book, and I, simply as an artist, did what I did without classification. So when the book appeared, the book stated, Ray Johnson is a poet. But I never said, this is a poem. I simply wrote what I wrote, and it later became classified. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really interesting quote. Did Dick Higgins consider Ray Johnson to be a poet? As the person who coined the term intermedia, yeah, he probably did consider Ray Johnson to be a poet. But Johnson himself didn't seem to feel that way. And in fact, he actively denies being a poet <laughs> in the quote. But something about Johnson's words don't quite ring true to me. The initial phrase, I shouldn't call myself a poet, but other people have, combined with the use of that word simply a little later on, is anything but simple. Johnson implies that he was passive. The book was classified without express consent. But couldn't it be argued that someone who is leaving lots and lots and lots of ephemera for you in all sorts of places is actually actively looking to be called upon or recognized? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think it's, I think it's something to think about. So... About this book, I think if you're a dedicated Ray Johnson fan, this book should definitely be part of your collection. Um, it functions as an artist book in its own right. It has unusual typography, nonlinear narrative, plenty of room for interpretation. But if you're more interested in the visual side of Johnson's work, like his collages, his correspondence art, that sort of thing, then this might not be the book for you. Um, those elements, those visual, more super hyper-visual elements are not what the paper snake is about. And so they're not represented strongly in the, the paper snake. The paper snake is an exercise in playful thinking and, and an exercise in the book as a landscape for visual word play. So it really is an artist book in that right. Siglio's reprint of this book is excellent. It's, you know, wonderfully reprinted. It's true to the original. They have done other books about Ray Johnson, uh, notably Frog Pond Splash, which came out in 2019, and the book Not Nothing, Selected Writings by Ray Johnson. So I would encourage you to check out those books by them. So that will go in the show notes. The second book I'm going to talk about is called Ray Johnson. It was published in conjunction with an exhibition at the Matthew Marks Gallery in 2017. It contains an introductory essay by Brad Gooch. And the exhibition at Matthew Marks Gallery was comprised of over 30 collages, which spanned nearly three decades. Uh, the collages were created throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, they're interesting due to the fact that they're built out of layers of magazine clippings, found photographs, and lots of handmade marks. The reproductions are great in this book. Uh, the catalog captures, you know, all of that sort of 
physicality of, you know, the materials and tools really well. It shows individual works and close-ups of the same works. So, for example, you'll have on the left-hand side of a page spread um, a complete photo of a postcard, and then on the right-hand side of the page you'll have a close-up where you can actually see, you know, where collage items overlap, handwriting on the page, um, that kind of thing. And as a reader of this kind of book, I really appreciate that. I love being able to see close-ups um, of other artists' work, and it's really nice to have the actual item alongside a close-up of the photo. I like that a lot. In the introductory essay, it's pointed out that Johnson would begin work on a collage and then he would set it aside, coming back to it months or years later, you know, working into it a little bit more and then set it aside again. And, <laughs> like, this is a method I totally appreciate <laughs> because I am a person who likes to have many projects going on at once. This variety, this kind of variety, like two steps forward approach helps to keep me engaged personally with different projects, um, techniques, materials. And so I, I wonder if that was the case with Ray Johnson, too. Um, I feel like his artistic practice and agile mind practically guaranteed that he would always be exploring in this really restless sort of way, like joking, jousting on the page uh, with puns and words uh, with the people he corresponded with and other artists. So I definitely suggest this book if you like your exhibition catalogs to have lots of photos that are, you know, the color is really good, the printing is really nice, there's minimal words on the page, this is a great book. I would suggest it, and it is currently on sale at the Matthew Marks website. So that is an added bonus. The third book is the Ray Johnson Care of Exhibition Catalog, which has been published recently by the Yale University Press in conjunction with the Art Institute of Chicago. As mentioned, this book is the exhibition catalog for the upcoming show in Chicago later this year, and that show will open in November 2021. It runs through March 2022. And the exhibition features work from the Art Institute's recently acquired William S. Wilson collection of Ray Johnson, which also includes the original archives of the New York Correspondence School. So a little bit of background about Ray Johnson and William S. Wilson. The two met in New York in 1956. Johnson had already been living and working in New York for a few years by then. The two were introduced by Johnson's Black Mountain College classmate and friend, Norman Solomon. And at the time, Solomon advised Wilson that if he mailed something to Johnson, Johnson would probably mail something back. And so the advice proved true. <laughs> Wilson acted on that. It, it proved to be true. And soon others in Wilson's circle, including his mother, the artist Mae Wilson, are also corresponding with Johnson. So the network is growing. Throughout the late 50s and 60s, the two exchanged large amounts of mail. 
with Ray Johnson sending William Wilson his collages, modicos, ephemera, anything, anything and everything. From the beginning of their friendship and correspondence, Wilson kept and carefully organized everything that Johnson sent to him. With Johnson's death in 1996, uh, Wilson became even more engaged with the archive he'd built over the course of 30 years. He began to organize his anecdotes and interactions, writing them down with an eye towards putting together a book about Ray Johnson. He received both an NEA and Warhol Foundation grant to do so, but that book was never realized. Wilson invited scholars and researchers into his home to utilize his vast archive and view original Ray Johnson works in situ. According to Ray Johnson Care Of, quote, By 2016, the year that Wilson died, the archive consisted of more than 175 three-ring binders and spanned some 30 linear feet. True to form, 79 collages and 25 drawings had also been framed, unquote. So that brings us to the exhibition catalog. There are things that I love about this catalog, and there are things that drive me a little crazy about this catalog. So I'll start with the things I love. Um, The reproductions of Johnson's artwork are well captured, with many of the postcards, collages, binder sleeves, ephemera, all of those things uh, reproduced at full size, which I appreciate. Turning through the pages of this catalog, the reader can see certain recurring themes. Um, Johnson's visual language is on full display here. Uh, Because Wilson's archive is so vast and contains nuance, uh, readers can also see Johnson experimenting with different ideas and the evolution of his visual language and wordplay. You know, so for example, we see as he begins to use the bunny ears more and more, we see certain themes come into play where certain words keep getting used over and over again, certain identities keep getting stamped onto pages, add and pass pages. Uh, You get a really good overview of how that evolves with this catalog. It's, this book is definitely a feast for the eyes, whether you page through it in order, page by page, or you just open it to a randomly selected page. Every page has something uh, wonderful on it, whether written or visual. The essays are well-written. They offer something for, you know, Ray Johnson newbies and nerds alike. Uh, Exhibition curators Caitlin Haskell and Jordan Carter contribute multiple times, as do Michael von Uechtrift, who was Wilson's assistant, uh, Joanna Goss, and Taya Liberty Nichols, among others. And one of my one of my favorite essays in the catalog is Goss's Modicos, because I really love Ray Johnson's Modicos. I just I love the idea of them, the look of them, the performative aspect of them. I love the fact that no one people who stumbled upon them seemed like mystified by them. They didn't understand what they were all about. I've always loved Johnson's Modicos because they're so striking looking. Uh, they're they're text-like, they're collage-like, they're glyph-like. I think it's a great essay that she has written, and it really um, helps contextualize Johnson's Modicos. So catalog overall, great writing, great reproductions. It's an excellent compilation of source material. It does a great job of explaining and breaking down uh, the William S. Wilson archive. 
But there are times when this volume, to me, feels a little over-designed, a little too precious. And it pains me to say that <laughs> because I really, really, really love the work of Irma Boom, who designed this book. I believe that Irma Boom is possibly one of the greatest living book designers today. And I know that's a big statement, <laughs> but I'm going to stand by it. I feel that her innovation and forward thinking about books and the way people interact with them is one of the many reasons that she is the youngest recipient of the prestigious Gutenberg Prize. Um, all aspects of an Irma Boom book are considered when she begins a new project. You know, things like paper choice, typography, interesting or unusual techniques, even in some cases, things like smell. Boom experiments with ideas of scale or page size uh, within the text block. She's consistently challenges notions of what a reader's experience should be um, as they're interacting with books. And <laughs> I, I feel like if Irma Boom were to meet Ray Johnson, I bet they would appreciate each other's sense of curiosity and sense of humor. <laughs> I really, I really believe that. So, you know, I, I'm a person who loves books. I live with books. I've built a life in books, uh, specifically artist books and books about artists. So I deeply appreciate a good exhibition catalog. My books are used for reference research, um, inspiration, education, they do not sit idly on the shelf. <laughs> uh, books got me through the darkest days of the pandemic. They've introduced me to new friends. They've taught me creative ways to think. So when I say that this particular book drives me a little bit crazy, it has to do with the way I interact with my books and what my particular expectations are for a book. And I understand that it is not the same for everybody. So I'll just say that right up front. Like I mentioned before, the information in Ray Johnson Care Of is top-notch. Absolutely, 100%. As are the reproductions. But the book's structure feels like a misstep to me. Like, like the design got in the way of the usefulness of the book. If you've handled a copy, you'll understand what I mean right away. This is a soft cover book in every sense of the word. Reading through the introductory essay by Caitlin Haskell, there's a brief mention of, quote, as with the listings in a phone book, unquote, when talking about the reader's experience. And while that phrase implies the arranging of the text inside the book, it's a great way to classify the structure itself. Very much like a phone book with all of the floppiness and kind of looseness that that suggests. The important difference between a phone book and this catalog, for me, is that I place an inherently higher value on this catalog. <laughs> I've paid a fair amount of money for it, I'm invested in the subject matter, and I'm interested in having a book that's built to last. If I'm being honest with myself, is a book that I will most likely either A, build some sort of housing for, you know, some sort of uh, slipcase or protective wrapper so that it doesn't get damaged on my shelves, 
Or B, I'll buy a second copy for that moment in time when I accidentally destroy my first copy because it's bound to happen. <laughs> this is a coffee table book. And when I say that, again, I am talking about the structure. The information is great. The photos are incredible. The structure could be a barrier if you're a person who uses your books as reference books like I do. So I saved this book for last since clearly I had the most to say about it. <laughs> um, I don't want listeners to think that I'm bashing the book or the exhibition because I am not. I can hardly wait to see the exhibit when it opens and I'll most likely end up purchasing that second copy. <laughs> one to keep in good shape and one to constantly refer to. You know, like a copy where I won't, it won't break my heart if I put a crease in the cover or I like rumple some pages because I'm like quickly thumbing through something. So, you know, a handling copy and then, you know, a, a preservation copy. And, you know, as I was thinking this through about this exhibition catalog and, and its structure, it brought to mind the question, why does it matter? Like, why do I care so much about keeping my copy in good shape and having, you know, like a fairly pristine copy? And as opposed to a copy that has clearly been, you know, loved and used and um, referred to time and time again. And I'm still, I'm, st you know, I'm still like tossing that around, that question. I'm not sure why yet. Um, I think maybe because I like having, I don't, I don't know. I'm still sort of working this out for myself. So if, if there are listeners out there who have thoughts about their own book collections, um, I would love to hear your ideas around that because I know, I know for me, there is an argument to be made of why should it matter, but I know for me it does. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> anyway, so all of that being shared, I will say those are my reviews on the three uh, Ray Johnson books that are easily accessible, gettable, and out there in the world today. I hope that this kind of rundown of these three books has been useful or at least interesting. Um, these are all great books in their own way, shape, and form. Anybody who's a fan of Ray Johnson should, you know, at least look through copies of these books and then decide for themselves if they would fit into your own collection or your own reference collection. You know, for such a long time, it was it was really difficult to to even find information or books about Ray Johnson. And so now we have this luxury of choice that I think is really, it's exciting. And so I'm happy to share these names with you and I hope that you'll be excited by some of the books once you see them in person for yourselves. So that being said, I will wrap up for now. Thank you, Senders Receive listeners, for another fabulous episode. And what I will do is say, Bye for now. Senders Receive is recorded, edited, and hosted by Jenny Hinchcliffe, with many, many thanks to the contributors, artists, and interview subjects of Senders Receive. Our intro-outro music is by Kitsa and used as per the artist's Creative Commons terms. Additional info can be found in the show notes. If you're a mail artist or postal modern interested in being interviewed for Senders Receive, I invite you to send an email to sendersreceivepodcast at gmail.com.
keep current on new episodes at our Instagram account, at Senders Receive Podcast. That's all for now, and thanks for listening.